It's good to see you guys today. Uh, it's good to have some sunshine. That's, uh, I mean, it's April, for goodness sakes. Why have we been waiting so long? But things are pretty green, so I'll, I'll, if you're a skier, you probably like all the snow. I don't, I'm a pastor, so I can afford that kind of thing, but that's... Uh, you know, I have made a lot of arguments in my life, if you can believe that. I grew up an arguer. Um, I had a very uh, difficult family, parents. No, no, I'm kidding. They're, over, they're here, so they're, they weren't that difficult. Uh, but they, you know, they, we always uh, um, had, let's call them friendly arguments, usually friendly, 90% friendly, 10% the police came. Um, no, I stole that joke, that's not mine. Uh, we argued, uh, you know, to, to, to sharpen ourselves. I, I enjoyed it, in fact, when I was young, I think it was about the eighth grade when I realized that I wanted to become a lawyer so I could get paid to argue with people. Um, that was something that was, uh, I could see just that was my thing. I, I really enjoy that. So I have, I have studied arguments, I have made arguments, I have read arguments and everything from news articles to blogs to legal cases to philosophy books. I know a decent amount about arguing and arguments. So don't argue with me, okay? <laughs> No, you can argue with me. Just good luck. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's fine. It's fine. Um, you know, in its simplest form, an argument is just a series of, of factual statements put together to sort of form a conclusion. Okay? I'm going to give you a couple of examples of an argument. I'm not talking about quarreling here. I'm talking about arguing, making an argument. Okay? Um, so William Lane Craig uh, is a, uh, Dr. Craig is a philosopher, um, Christian apologist, uh, he's debated everyone from you know, all the famous atheists and all these folks and so on. And one of his arguments is called the moral argument for the ex existence of God. And we're not going to get real deep into the argument today, but I want to show you what an argument looks like so you have an idea as we start to get into the scripture today. This is his argument, okay? This is the moral argument for the ex existence of God. It starts like this. If God does not exist... Objective moral values do not exist. Now, objective moral values means moral values that, are, that apply to everybody at all times that aren't found inside us or in our hearts or in our minds or your truth or whatever, but objective moral values, moral values outside of ourselves. If God does not exist, objective moral values do not exist. Then the second uh, premise sentence is objective moral values do exist. The third one saying, therefore, God exists. Now, if the first sentence, or what we call a premise, is true, and the second sentence or premise is true, then the conclusion is definitely true. It's just math. It's just logic, okay? Um, in this case, they are true. The first premise has to be true. There is no satisfying explanation for the existence of objective standards outside ourselves that bind all of us, moral values, other than God, that they would come because God's made them, because they come from his character, because he's the one who set the law. It wouldn't make sense otherwise. Um, where else could those objective values come from? And since we do experience that objective moral values are true, for instance, we believe that behavior like harming people for no reason or for fun is wrong for everybody all the time. And it doesn't matter how you feel about it, right? We believe that. And so therefore, God must exist. So that's the argument, okay? I'm just giving you the argument form. I don't want to get real deep into it. I've probably done sermons on that before. Go look on the website. Um, another one, a little more simple uh, that kind of down to earth, this one says, between two teams that play against one another, the team who wins most often is the best team. 
So we all understand that, right? Two teams are playing each other. The one who wins more is the better team, is the best team. Premise two, the Huskies have beaten the Ducks at football <laughs> 60 times. And the Ducks have only beaten the Huskies 48 times. Therefore, the Huskies are the best team. Let's pray. No, I'm, <laughs> it's just logic, okay? It's just logic, guys. Deal with it. Listen, I'm here to preach the truth, okay? That's what this is about. Come here and think I'm just going to pander to you Ducks fans. You need to get right. All right. Aren't you glad I'm back? All right. Arguments can be short like these ones, or they can be much, much, much longer. And usually when they're much longer, there's a bunch of short ones in there that are put together to make a very, very long argument. And what we are about to start studying here as we dig deeper into the book of Romans. We've been in the book of Romans for several weeks. Uh, Lord willing, we're going to be there for quite a long time. But we're going to begin studying one of the greatest arguments ever made. One of the greatest arguments that's ever been made. This is one of the most important arguments in the life of any person. Any human being that has ever lived on the planet Earth, this is one of the most important things that you could ever understand is this argument, because this argument explains the gospel, the good news. And it goes on for chapters and chapters and chapters. We're just going to start it today, uh, and Lord willing, we'll get through a few verses. I'm, I tried to keep this one, actually, believe it or not, I tried to keep this sermon relatively short so we can bite things off a little bit at a time. Um, but this is, this is such an important argument. In Acts Church, I, I just want you to know if you're new or something like that, welcome, by the way. We are so glad that you're here if you're new. And we hope, we didn't show our little video that, that shows how to like fill out those cards, but I bet you could figure it out. There's cards in front of you. If you want to fill those out, that'd be great. You can also use little QR codes if you're fancy like that. You know how to use a cell phone. It's 2022, so you should. Um, just like you did at the restaurants, you know, when they didn't have the menus, because if you touch a menu, you automatically die. I don't know if you knew that. Um, you can, you can use those QR codes and send us a prayer request or give us a lot of money, whatever, you know, whatever it is that you want to do. Um, but welcome. Uh, I want you to know something about us, though. We are very serious about the Bible. We believe it's the Word of God. We believe that the Scriptures are God-breathed, that they were, it was written by people, but that the Holy Spirit inspired these men to write the Bible, and that what you have here is God's holy truth. And so when it says something, we believe it. We believe it. So it could just say, he could have skipped the argument and just said, boom, the gospel. And we would have said, yeah, that's the word of God. But you know what the really cool thing is, is that God does more than that. He actually, even for the person who doesn't buy into this, if you read through this argument, you simply cannot deny its truth and its power because he actually takes the time to go through the whole thing so that you understand. So that both the believer who already believes in the word of God and the unbeliever who comes to the word of God with skepticism cannot deny the power and the truth of the argument that is laid out here, the Holy Spirit inspiring Paul to write. It's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing. So, oops, I skipped a bunch of pages somehow. Don't worry, I'm going back. Um, da, 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 da. A lot of pages I skipped. All right, here we go. Now, I'm going to warn you as we walk through this, um, because Lord willing, we'll be doing this for a number of weeks. But if you have grown up in the United States, you likely have built up a pretty strong firewall against logic. If you watch a lot of TV or do a lot of social media, you have built a really strong firewall 
up against logic, okay? It's not your fault. It's just kind of in the air. We've been catching it for a long time. And frankly, to act like there were other ages where logic was better is nonsense, okay? People tend to push away logic because it makes demands on us when we realize what's reasonable. And so we tend to not like it. But particularly these days, uh, you may have noticed that when you talk to people, they aren't always being reasonable, right? Ducks fans, for instance, right? I made the argument, it's easy to understand. No, kidding. It's fine, Ducks fans, you're fine. You beat us a lot lately. <sighs> All right. I had a friend once um, from this area. We were at a campfire, and I was trying to explain to him something about truth. We were having this conversation, and I, and I grabbed a rock. Picked up this rock, and I said, this rock that I'm holding either exists or it doesn't exist. Something is true about the existence of this rock, right? What we believe about this rock is actually less important than what's actually true about this rock. It either exists or it doesn't exist. Maybe it's a hologram. Maybe the aliens put it there. Maybe it's not really a rock. I don't know, but whatever's true is true about this rock. There's something true about the existence of this rock. And my friend said, no, I don't agree. So I threw the rock at him. No, I didn't really do that. I didn't do that. I, I really didn't. Not that you know of. Um, he was unwilling to admit even the most obvious truth. He would not admit it. You know why? Because in that case, and the argument that was being made and so on, the effect of admitting that there was something true, logically, reasonably true, would have led my friend to have to admit all kinds of other truth that he did not want to face. And so what he did is he just said, there's nothing true about the rock. And they're like, okay, what are we even talking about then? Why do we even bother having a conversation, right? Be careful that you do not fall into the trap of ignoring logic where it is convenient for you to do so. Sometimes it's convenient to ignore logic because you would prefer to do the things that you like to do. And logic leads you to realize that you ought not to do those things. Be careful. People will ignore logic and they will ignore reason so they continue to think the way they want to think and live the way they want to live. And so if you're an unbeliever and you're coming to this argument and you stay with us as we get through this whole thing, it's, it, it is literally transformational to your life. There is nothing more transformational than the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. But you got to come at it honestly. You got to come at it honestly. The, the statistics suggest we are not likely to be fair when we're considering arguments. According to an article from the Reboot Foundation called The State of Critical Thinking 2018, it's a very small state, very few people in it. Um, says nearly 87% of respondents say that considering an opposing view is an important and useful exercise. Okay. But when asked to detail how they engage in such practices in their daily life, only 25% are willing to regularly have debates with people who disagree with them. A surprising 24% of respondents say they regularly avoid talking to people with opposing views. Now, I kind of understand that. People with opposing views are wrong, right? Uh, no. They're, they're, people can be difficult these days, right? They, they can. I understand that. But, but the fact is, is that people avoid dealing with difficult things. They avoid taking on arguments. As a Christ follower, look, let me just tell you, you have the best arguments. You have the truth. You don't need to be afraid of anybody. Now, I'm not saying cast your pearls before swine. If somebody just wants to be difficult and say things like, well, religion is against reason to begin with. It's like, oh, 
That's just a statement. Do you have any facts to back that up? Why are the smartest people in the last several thousand years all Christians? Um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's one of those things where you can run into people who aren't worth talking to, but if they are willing to have a conversation, you have the best fa facts. You have the best arguments. You don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid as Christians. And if you're an unbeliever and you're here today, deal with the arguments. Deal with them fairly. Fact is that this argument inspired by the Holy Spirit here in Romans is going to actually push up against all of us, Christian or non-Christian. Bible tends to do that. We're going to be tempted. This is what you're going to be tempted to do as we get through, especially chapter one, maybe chapter two. You're going to have this temptation to see the argument as talking about other people, those people, right? That's what you're going to, you're going to be dealing with and not talking about us. But let me just tell you something. It is talking about us. You need the gospel as much as anybody else. I need it more. It is talking about us. And if we won't see it for what it is, the truth about who we are, so that we can recognize the glory of God's grace, we'll miss the good news altogether. The news of salvation, forgiveness of sin, that God is making us new. That he who began a good work in you will, will complete it faithfully, right? You're going to miss that if you don't understand who you are. So this is the gospel argument that we're about to start, broken down for both Jew and Gentile, and that's important. Remember that the people in the churches in Rome, if you were here early on, I was explaining that the people in Rome, it started with folks most likely that came from Pentecost, the day church started, and went back, Jewish people who became Christ followers who went back to Rome and started these churches. And then they were kicked out of Rome. They were exiled. The Jewish people. So the only people that were left were the Gentiles that had converted to Christianity were left there to keep the churches going. And then the Jews came back by the time Paul's writing this letter. So they've come back to Gentile churches. They had like smoke machines and light, too many lights and stuff. It was crazy. They were like, don't do this. Right. Uh, and so they were having these, these conflicts. So Paul's actually going to address Jew and Gentile here. And so that's really important to understand. It's good news that you're about to hear laid out in a beautiful argument form. But the good news is only good news if you understand the truth about who you are and the state you are in. And that's, that's kind of what we're going to start with. So setting you up, you have to understand that you need help before you understand that the help is a good thing. And Paul understands that. And the Lord, of course, understands that as he lays this argument out. If you don't think you need help, you aren't that excited when somebody offers help, Right? If you think you're doing good, you don't think you need help. If you're a criminal, but you haven't been caught and you're making lots of money and it's going, it's going really well for you, then you're not thinking about the fact that you might need a pardon. But when you get caught and prison is coming, that's when you're thinking you might need a pardon or a good lawyer, right? 865-776-9. We fight for you. You don't think you need help until you get caught, until you realize the punishment's coming. Until then, you're convinced everything is fine. And Paul is going to blow up the idea. The Holy Spirit has this way in the scriptures that inspires these writers to just blow things up. Just like, and it's not soft. It's big. He's just going to blow up the idea that everything's fine and that you don't need anything. There are so many people walking around the world today acting like they're ignorant of their own sinfulness. They're in the sinful, dead, spiritually dead state of being. And the worse they get, the less they seem to notice. Go to Washington, D.C. It's, it's bad. It's like, are you people serious? And I'm not talking about any particular party. They're all messed up. 
maybe not every one of them. Listen to what C.S. Lewis writes. When a man is getting better, he understands more and more clearly the evil that is still left in him. When a man is getting worse, he understands his own badness less and less. A moderately bad man knows he is not very good. A thoroughly bad man thinks he's all right. Good people know about both good and evil. Bad people do not know about either. This is a really important point that we're going to get into as we get through, especially Romans 1, where we find out that doing wrong, that doing evil, that sinning leads to more sin, leads to less knowledge about the sin itself. And the further down that road we get, the less we're likely to realize how much trouble we're in. We've probably all been around a certain group of people at some point in our life. It was a friend group. Uh, it was a military regiment, it was a sports team, it was whatever it was. Online these days, you can have a little online chat people. I don't know how that works, but um, go outside, by the way, if that's you. Um, and these people behave in a way that the, the behavior that's common to that group is pretty bad, pretty ugly. The way they're talking, the things they talk about and so on, you just kind of get used to it. You start to lose sight of what's morally right, because within this group, things are just kind of bad and they kind of get worse. The more you hang out with that group, actually the less bad you feel about the things you're doing. When you first started doing them, you was kind of like, this probably isn't great. Later, it's just like, whatever. You've probably been there before. I'm gonna read you C.S. Lewis again. I just found this guy, he's great. No, I've known him for a long time. This is what he says, the problem of pain. Again, many of us have had the experience of living in some local pocket of human society some particular school, college, regiment, or profession, where the tone was bad. And inside that pocket, certain actions were regarded as merely normal. Everyone does it. And certain others as impracticably virtuous. In other words, the kind of thing that only saints would do. But when we emerged from that bad society, we made the horrible discovery that in the outer world, our normal was the kind of thing that no decent person ever dreamed of doing, and our virtuous was taken for granted as the minimum standard of decency. Sometimes you get slapped upside the head with the recognition that the things that have become normal to you are wickedness. And here in this, this argument, that's kind of where it starts kind of that slap of, do you not get it? Do you not get what Jesus has had to do for you? Because you've, you've started to think it's so normal. Everyone else is like this. And maybe that's true, but the stuff is really, really bad. And so it's got to start there if, you need to, if you're going to understand how much you need Jesus. Reading the Bible and listening to Jesus is, is that kind of a wake-up call to take stock of ourselves Take stock of ourselves. We have to understand the standard of God is holiness because he's a holy God who's called us to be holy as he is holy, as you can read in 1 Peter chapter 1. And when we, when we look to the scriptures, we begin to understand our need for Jesus Christ and his saving grace that he paid for on that cross. Only when we look to the scriptures... When we don't look to the scriptures, we start to look at other people and our standard gets pretty distorted, pretty perverted. We begin to understand as we read this why the price Jesus paid for us was so high. We begin to get a glimpse of the power of his resurrection. 
James 1, 22 through 25. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Now, when I'm looking in the mirror, I try to forget, you know, these days. When I was young, it was like, oh, yeah, I'd stay in front of a mirror forever. Nowadays, I try to avoid them, like, really bad, especially anyone that goes this far down. That's if we can be right here, I'm okay. Get down here, I'm out, right? No mirrors for me. But you go away and you forget what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, into the scripture, into the teachings, and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. we got to look into the perfect law and then look at ourselves in that law as if it was a mirror. And that's what makes us realize how much we need Jesus. If we don't look at it, we get lost in what everybody else is doing. And everybody else is doing these things and becoming less and less and less aware and knowledgeable about the sin that they're doing. We look into it and we see who we are. God showed me just a taste, just a taste of who I was in my sin and wickedness years ago. And then he showed me the power of the gospel. And I will follow him forever in his strength and in power of the Holy Spirit because of the good news of the gospel. Just seeing a glimpse of who I really was. God has shown us in this argument through the writing of his servant Paul all of these things so that we will understand our need for the gospel, the power of the gospel, the promise of the gospel. This argument, this is the preaching of the gospel as we read it. The preaching of the gospel, just so that you know, is not the message that God is going to make everything comfortable right now if you just follow Jesus. If you buy into that, you are going to be so disappointed because you live in a fallen world, you're called to be fishers of men, you're called to be soldiers, you're called to go forth to do the hard thing, to see people come to know Jesus. You are not called to get wealthier and wealthier and more and more powerful and more and more comfortable and not worry about anything. If somebody preaches that to you, they are going to follow it up with, and please give lots of money, okay? That is not what Christianity is about. Now, I'm not saying that you can't live an incredibly joyful life. In fact, I think it's the most joyful life there is. But to say that it's not hard is crazy. And to say that God wants to do it for you so that you can have all those things is crazy. What God wants to do is give you life instead of death. Not just more comfort. All right. Let's get into the Word. There's Bibles in front of you, um, or if you're in the front row, I guess, behind you. If you don't have one at home, please take one of those home with you. That's our gift to you. It's really important to us that you have the Word of God in your home and that you can read it. We'd ask that you read the whole thing this week. No, I'm kidding. You can, you can take longer than that if you want. But uh, if you have your Bible, grab it. Um, it's good to bring it with you because we like to write in them sometimes and things like that if, you, if you're willing to do that with your Bible. But let's get into the Word. Uh, let's pray before we start. Father, we thank you for your Word. I pray that you would imprint it on our hearts. That we would hide your word in our heart, that we might not sin against you. That your word would be a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. That we would understand you more and your glorious goodness and your grace and your forgiveness as we read through this. We love you, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. All right. Romans 1. We're going to be in verse 15, which is kind of bringing us back to last week, and then we're going to keep going. Uh, it says this in verse 15. So much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. So Paul's telling the Christ followers in Rome, remember that's who this is too, that he's ready to preach the gospel. 
And he is about to lay the foundations, okay, the foundations of the gospel for them in this argument of the need for the gospel. But first, he tells us why. So in this next verse, first word is for. Okay, and I'm going to be having you circle a bunch of what I would call argument words. They're things that connect the argument one piece to the next so that you can kind of see the logic as it goes through. So if you'll circle the word for, first word in the verse, Romans 1.16, and it says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. So he's ready to preach the gospel for because he's not ashamed of it. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. He's not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God to salvation. The power of God to salvation. This is extremely important. The gospel is the power to save. It's the power to save. If you had the cure to cancer, just imagine that you had, you were way smarter than me and you figured out how to like lab tech, whatever people do, and you came up with a cure for cancer. You've got it. There it is. You're holding it in your hand. Wouldn't you be one to share it? It's a lot of people with cancer who are dying. If you knew you could save lives, you'd be shouting it from the rooftops. You wouldn't keep it to yourself and be ashamed of it. Even if lots of people thought you were dumb or ignorant or wrong. If you knew the cure saved, you would be taking it to those who were sick. I hope so. What kind of a person would you be if you kept the cure to cancer to yourself and let people die because some of the people with cancer might have laughed at you? You might not have been as popular if you said you had the cure to cancer. You probably see where I'm going here. Not too complicated. You have in the gospel the power of God to salvation. Way more than the cure to cancer. Eternal life from death in hell. And too many people are ashamed of the gospel. You don't want to be ashamed of Christ before men, that he might not be ashamed of you before his father. You have the power to cure. Now, I'm not saying go out on the street and start yelling at everybody. Okay, we've got enough people yelling at everybody. What I'm saying is preach the gospel. You have the power of God. The power of God to salvation is in the gospel. Paul wasn't worried about being embarrassed Paul was facing beatings and stoning and prison and hunger and shipwreck so that he could bring the gospel, which he believed was the power of God to salvation, to people all over the world. He didn't let anything hold him back. We shouldn't let anything hold us back. He wanted to bring good news to the lost. And he makes clear here that the gospel is the power of God to salvation. And it's first to the Jew and then to the Greek or Gentile, everyone who's not Jewish. Because the scriptures were given to the Israelites first. God chose these people that through them, and eventually through Jesus Christ, who came through the Jewish nation, that the rest of the world will be saved. And he's dealing with what? In the, in the church of Rome, Jews and Gentiles, right? So he's explaining all that to them. He's going to address each of them individually. So he writes, for it is the power of God for salvation. Then we see the word for again in the next verse, in verse 17. You can circle that again. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. It is the power of God, and for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. The just shall live by faith. Listen, the righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. The righteousness of God, because we're about to talk about God's wrath here. Next verse, we're getting into like the, the stuff that scares people and ought to. We should fear God in these terms. But he's saying, but it's righteous. 
It's righteous. The righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. It is righteous that God should be wrathful against evil. You are when you see it. When you watch the news and see some evil thing that's done, you have wrath against that evil. If God is good, he must be wrathful against evil. It's actually necessary to his righteousness that he would be so. Because one of the arguments people say is, why is God so upset? It's not fair. It is fair. It is fair. It is just. It is righteous. And Paul is saying that right before he gets into the wrath of God, it's not an accident that he says the righteousness of God is revealed. Because his wrath is a counterpart to his righteousness. It flows from his righteousness. So he's going to lay out our responsibility for our own sin. Our next four comes in the next sentence. We can circle that too. For the wrath of God is revealed. His righteousness is revealed. The wrath of God is revealed. From heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Now, this is my biography leading up to knowing Christ. This is what I did. Press the truth. The, the idea is pushing down the truth. There it is, and I push it down. I know what it is, and I push it down. Wrath is being revealed from heaven because we do that, because men suppress or push down the truth and unrighteousness. We don't want to deal with the truth. Why? Because the truth is uncomfortable. Extremely uncomfortable, especially when we want to do things that we know are pretty shabby things to do. The truth is hard. It means we don't get what we want when we want and how we want. It means we have to honor God, the creator of the universe and the creator and designer of us when he tells us what to do. It means we've got to eat our vegetables, so to speak. I'm not saying, there's nothing in here about do you have to eat your vegetables. I'm just saying, you know, your parents will tell you, eat your vegetables, it's good for you. You want to grow up big and strong, right? And, and you, you don't want to do it because vegetables are gross, right? Some of you are like, I love vegetables. Yeah, okay. Mama's favorite, no doubt. <laughs> I like vegetables, fine, I'm just kidding. But when you're a little kid, you don't want to eat them. We can't just sit on the couch and eat ice cream all day long. Okay, you guys are like, well, you look like you wanted something like that, yeah. That, was, that thought was sinful. Do you see the problem with your sin? Gosh, Lord, what am I dealing with these sinful people? No, kidding, kidding. It means we've got to do the things God designed us to do so that we can be the people God designed us to be, but we don't always want to do the things God designed us to do. Sometimes we want to do the things that we want to do. It means we have to acknowledge God as the creator, that we have to acknowledge that he made and designed us, and that we are responsible to him, and that there is a way to live. That's what it means when we accept the truth. When we suppress or push down the truth, it means we ignore that. That's not a rock. Right? So that we can do what we want to do. We're like children sometimes, covering our ears, going, na, 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 Right? If you think that that will help you avoid the responsibility that you have as one of God's creatures made in his image and likeness to do what he's called you to do, you are going to find out that you are quite wrong. That is a form of suppressing the truth. I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to hear about it. I'm too tired to think about it. I don't want to deal with all that. You can't avoid responsibility to do what God says 
just because you refuse to listen. If you think you can, you have another thing coming. That's why God's wrath is coming, and that's why it is just. And God tells us why it is just in the next verse. Here the word because is important, so you might want to underline that. Verse 19, because what may be known about God, what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. What may be known about God is manifest because God has shown it to them. This is an essential part of this argument. If you're going to be responsive, God's going to have wrath and it's going to be righteous wrath, then you had to have known what you weren't supposed to do, right? Or else it's kind of unfair. If I just give you guys a test on physics, some of you would probably do fine. I would be like, I don't even know what these symbols mean. Kind of unfair to give it to me without teaching me. But here's God showing that what may be known about him is obvious, manifest, evident, obvious, because God has shown it to them. You know, the ancient philosophers of the Greeks, Plato, for instance, hundreds of years before Christ, knew, talked about, wrote about that God, the real God, must be perfect and eternal and all these kinds of things. He understood. He didn't have the, he wasn't reading the scriptures. He wasn't, he just understood. He just understood. Okay. The philosophers of the Greeks knew that God was perfect and good, and yet they refused to worship him. They didn't put an idol up for him. They weren't worshiping and giving honor and glorifying him, even though they knew (coughs) that necessarily God must be like the God we have here in the Bible. This was not new information. This was information they knew and they purposely pushed down so they could live the way they wanted to live. And we do it too. The argument goes on, and I want you to note the words in this next sentence, for, so, because, and but, and and. And I'm going to tell you we're there, so don't freak out that I didn't give you all those right now. Okay, look. 20. For, since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because, although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Since he made the world, he's been known. His invisible attributes even can be clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. There's so many things about what God has made that we have understood forever who he is, who we are. Even the gospel is borne out every year in the life cycle of plants, <laughs> right? Well, what do you think? We're talking about spring, fall, the fall of man, fall, right? Winter, spring, summer, like these are all, the, the gospel is there for us. Even that is there, but certainly that God made us. The absurdly Absurdly ridiculous theories that we come up with in science, particularly in the area of biology, you know, Darwinian, neo-Darwinian evolution, so on, these, these kinds of theories, which sound really smart. And there's lots of people with white coats on, and you know, if you wear a white coat, you're smart, right? Add a British accent, it's like whatever this person says, obviously true, right? It's not. It's a house of cards. And even people who aren't even believers have called out how nonsensical some of the leaps in logic that have been made in the name of science 
Don't be anti-science, and science is whatever I say science is, right? God made the world, and God designed you, okay? This hand, you know how complicated this is? This did not go bloop out of nowhere. Bloop, oh, it's a hand. That's amazing. I love random chance. I've done a lot of things with random chance in my life. Never made a hand, okay? I mean, a poker hand in random chance, but that's a different thing. Totally different thing. Listen, they're understood. And, and what does that mean? It says, so, circle that, they are without excuse. They don't have an excuse. Oh, God, you're not being righteous. Nope. Everything you needed to know about me, you could see from what was made, and you rejected it. You suppressed it. You didn't glorify me. You ignored me. So you don't have an excuse. You're going to see this over and over where Paul is laying this argument, laying this foundation. Because although they knew God, they knew, they knew, but they didn't glorify him. They weren't even thankful. And what happened because of that? But became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were dark. And listen to me, this is extremely important because this is a warning, particularly to the unbeliever. If you reject God as creator, his role as creator. He created the universe. And you know what he said about it? It was good. He said it was very good. Until we messed it up, it was good. And it's still, in many ways, very good. And if you will not acknowledge him and glorify him for that, what is going to happen to you is your thoughts are going to become futile, useless, and you're going to have a foolish heart that is darkened. That's what happens. That's why you can be in that group of people and things go down, 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 down. And your heart gets darker and darker. You become more and more futile in your thoughts. You become more and more foolish. Why? Because you are ignoring God, the creator who designed you, continually pushing down the truth, saying, I don't care about the design. I'm going to do this thing because me and all my buddies do this thing. And the more you do it, the more futile, the more foolish, the more dark. It's natural thing that happens. So if you're thinking to yourself, I'm not really that bad, let me just tell you something. Your foolish heart is darkened. Let the light of the Lord come in. That's why it's here. That's why he's preaching, so we'll understand it. And it's not like, oh, well, what they're saying that about. No, look, me first. Me first. My foolish heart was darkened and would be, but for the grace of Jesus Christ, my king, who died for me and for you. From the beginning, they could see. John 1, 1 through 5, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And we go to verse 9 of, of John 1. That was the true light, Jesus, which gives light to every man coming into the world. The world was made through God, the Son, Jesus Christ. All things were made through him. And he is the light that gives light to every man. Does every man accept the light? No, we just read some will suppress the truth in unrighteousness. They'll push it down. They'll, they'll take that light and put it out. They won't look at it. But Jesus has given everyone light. You don't have an excuse. If you're thinking God's not fair, you're wrong. Or you wouldn't be sitting here 
Well, you already know it, but you're hearing it again. God has a plan for you. You can live in it or not live in it. Everyone is born with an understanding of who God is. There's a theory, I believe it was John Locke, who had the theory called the tabula rasa, which the idea was that when you're a baby, you were born a completely blank slate. Everything that happened to you was nurture rather than nature. There are a couple of things that I'll just tell you right now are inborn, written right on your soul. One of them is that God exists. The other one is actually the moral law. Those two for sure, we know we have from scripture. It's clear that those things are written on our hearts when we're born. That light is given to us. May not be easy to understand at first, but it's given to us. But sometimes we spend a lifetime suppressing that truth. I did for a very long time. Pushing it down, refusing to glorify God and serve him or giving lip service to him or saying, I'm a Christian. I don't live anything like I follow Christ, but I'm a Christian. That causes us to become futile in our thoughts and have foolish, darkened hearts. Now, I'm going to leave the argument there for today. There's a lot more coming. Lord willing, we're going to spend some time here. And this is actually one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. It is one of my favorite passages for a number of reasons, but I'm excited to keep preaching through this, but I, I want to be able to get through everything, and I don't want to try to bite off more than we can really get through. So um, this argument is going to go on to show us what happens as our thoughts become futile, as our hearts get darkened, and the kind of wickedness that occurs. And you're going to notice a lot of things that look really familiar to you, really familiar about the society that we live in. But I want you to remember something that I said at the beginning. This isn't about them. This is about us. I don't, as we read through this, you're going to go, oh yeah, that describes all these people and all these things they're doing. That's true, it does. But this isn't about them. This is about us. This is about our hearts. This is about what God's trying to do for us. Are we living out the gospel? Are we looking at the scriptures? Do we look to the scriptures and then to ourselves? And then look back to the scriptures and then to ourselves? Or do we look at the scriptures on Sunday morning and walk away and forget what kind of person we are? Are we showing ourselves to have darkened hearts and ignore the truth and be like, well, I'm doing this, this, and that. I mean, I show up at church on Sunday. I even give some money. I volunteer in this thing. So it's okay that I do this thing over here that God has told me not to do. The God who loves me, the God who made me, the God who knows how I'm designed has told me not to do it, but I just keep doing it because I am at least doing these things over here. That also is suppressing truth and unrighteousness. And that is something that every one of us has to work on as God is making us new. Right? And so this is about us. This is about us. Are you suppressing the truth? Are you ignoring the scriptures? If you're not a Christ follower, you are. But that can change today. If you are a Christ follower, you still might be doing a little bit of that. And I hope that as the Father calls both the unbeliever to him, that he also calls the believer closer to him. Closer to him. If you're a Christ follower, you're called to face the truth, even the hard truth. You're called to look at your own life, not be looking at everybody else and judging everybody else. What do you expect of everybody else, of the world? Of course, they're lost. Lost people act like lost people. Yes, their foolish hearts were darkened. You know who that was like? Like you, but for Jesus Christ. Like me, the most, but for Jesus Christ. What do you see in your life that doesn't fit with the scriptures? What do you see in your life that doesn't fit with the design that God has for you? Address it. Don't just ignore it. God's making you new day by day. 
can be a difficult process. Being chiseled at, messed with all the time, <laughs> can be difficult. That's what love looks like. That's what love looks like. Powerful love that God has for you. He made you. He knows every hair in your head. He designed you. Now, we're going to take communion a little bit here. As we remember Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, I want you to take some time. And I want you to consider what you may have been ignoring if you're a Christ follower. Confess your sins to God and be healed before you take communion. Take some time and do that. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Look, I, I love you. More importantly and more powerfully, God loves you. Big time. Big time. If there's one thing I want to leave you with, it's not that we're all so sinful. That's a given. We've known that. It's that God's love for you is so passionate and powerful. It's that he, he's not looking to reject you. He's looking to accept you. He already paid the price for your sin. If you don't know him today, it's not about feeling bad about your sin. It's about feeling good about the gospel. That's the whole point that Paul's going to get through here. This is where you are, and this is what Christ has done. Praise God. Hallelujah. That's good news. Live in that. Live in it. Wake up in the morning and feel good about the fact that God loves you. Man, we're sometimes walking around just, and I'm talking about myself too, just like, God loves you. God, the creator of the universe. You're going to be with him forever. Yeah, you might have a bad day. Your boss may be a jerk. If you work here. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> you may have rough stuff going on in your life. You probably do because you live in a broken, fallen world. But God loves you and you're going to be with him for eternity. I did a celebration of life service yesterday for my grandparents, my, my wife's grandparents, who are, who are wonderful Christ followers. They are experiencing now the thing that some, I mean, I'm jealous for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. To be with Jesus, you guys have something to look forward to that you can't even comprehend the joy and the glory. Seek for that. Live in that. Understand that God loves you. If you're wondering whether all the other people love you, no, not really, not like God does. That's why they annoy you all the time. <laughs> Do your best to love them because you're not great at it either, by the way. Let's walk forward in that, but don't forget that God loves you. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. I don't care who you think you are. I don't care who you think you aren't. God loves you. There is nobody in this place or listening to me online or that will ever hear this sermon, no human being that is beyond the redemption of Christ. If they were, it would have been me. And he saved me. He'll save you. And if you're a Christ follower and you've, and you've made some mistakes, today's the day to come, come on back. Come on back to living for him. Stop suppressing the truth. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. Be strong in him and the power of his might and face the truth. And let God complete the work he has begun in you. According to his truth in the scriptures. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that you would be with us today and this week. God, I... Holy Spirit, I thank you for giving me the strength to do what I cannot do on my own, which is to preach your word. I am neither equipped in myself nor qualified in myself, but I thank you for your power and your strength and your grace. And I pray that you would speak to the hearts 
of your people today, starting with me, with every one of us. Lord, let us reflect on how we can grow closer to you. And let us reflect on the joy of your love. God, let us just be overcome with your love and your power and your glory. And as we sing today, and as we take communion, Lord, let us celebrate, let our hearts explode in joy because of how good you are. I love you, Jesus. I love you. Thank you for who you are. In your name, amen.